This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. I held back the laugh (laughs) as long as I could. This girl (laughs) and her we are recording moments, okay? I do voices. There's a thing. It is not fair what she does to me. She won't even let me recover. I have to quickly snatch it back, reel it back in. Pull yourself together, woman. I did it for about five seconds. Hi, it's episode 74. Yeah. <laughs> episode 74. Here we are. Moving with, right uh, along. Some spies and stuff. Spies. That was not rehearsed. Yep. It's off day. I'm dancing by myself. And I'm dancing with myself. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's hum day. We just jumped right into that shit. We might be... Are you tipsy? A little? Maybe? Not yet, but it's a coming. I feel... I, I at least have the giggles. They're there. This should be fun. <laughs> so, since we're doing spies, I decided to go with the most famous drink of the most famous spy of all time, <laughs> Mr. James Bond. Bond. Hmm. James Bond. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So I did a vodka martini. Classy. Shaken, not stirred. (laughs) That's when I did my hump day dance. (laughs) She did. She said, it's hump day. (laughs) Yep, and danced as she shook. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so in that little martini is dry vermouth. And some vodka. I got Tito's. Because mm-hmm. it's a thing. And it is actually really good. It's pretty good. And a lemon twist. I did it. I, I actually did it by hand. Mm-hmm. It, homemade. Not homegrown, but it's homemade. A homemade lemon twist. <laughs> I cannot with you. <laughs> I did it by hand. Handmade. It's <laughs> I don't Are you going to start selling know. them on Etsy? <laughs> no. I do not have time for that. I gave up halfway through the twist. Are you kidding me? And then I cut it in half with scissors. It's Come like on a curl. now. It's, it's a curl. It's a lemon curl. It didn't really twist, but it's it's in there. It's acceptable. I did do the lemon this time. We were worried about it not making enough. Whew. Lord Jesus. She's stout. The bitch is stout. Yeah. Like, every time I take a drink, I feel like I'm breathing alcohol. <laughs> you might. You, yeah, that's exactly Don't what you're doing. Don't light a match. <laughs> It's serious. <laughs> Roll serious. Roll serious. It's it's tasty though. We we did doctor it a little bit after we tried the original recipe. And yeah, it didn't really help. It didn't help. It's, it's um it's a sipper. <sighs> yeah, I tried to uh take a swig and no. 
it sat in my mouth too long. No, you can't do that. Look. It was bad. We had this discussion. <laughs> this this is one so of our bad. pre-record discussions. She said that she was like, "Oh god, no, I can't. You don't you don't let it sit." So we both decided, yeah, that's definitely not one that you let roll around on the tongue and Mm-mm. savor the flavor for a second. You just got to no, shoot that sucker back. Knock it back. But yeah, happy humping. Happy humping. <laughs> Enough about that. Yeah. Oh, go to our socials. I was just fixing to say that. No. Oh, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> but do that. Go to the socials for the shenanigans, for the case picks, for the trivia questions. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that. Stop it. <laughs> Give me back myself, okay? <laughs> Get out of my head. <laughs> Yeah, so do all that because we do have a lot of stuff going on over there. It's it's a fun place. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's a party in the USA. Yay, 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 yay! <laughs> <laughs> There's no hope. It's all gone. All hope is lost. Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> I can't. You broke me again. <laughs> My bad. <sighs> okay, okay, so hard. for those of you that are still here, <laughs> let's jump into the episode, shall we? Let's do this. Let's talk about some spies. Okay. Okay. So my spy. <laughs> I spy with my little eye. Mm. Um. So yeah, I chose one who... It's a good one. Everyone has heard of, mm-hmm. but not everybody knows her story. I do not. I am one of those. I'm here to tell you. Enlighten me. My spy is Matahari. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Okay. Matahari, or Margarita Gertrude Zell, was born August 7th, 1876, in Leuwarden, Netherlands. I think I said that right. Oh, my God. That's a lot of words. <laughs> That's a long name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She became a Dutch dancer and courtesan yeah. whose name has become synonymous for the seductive female spy. Badass bitch. Mm, that she was. Yeah. She was shot by the French on charges of spying for Germany during World War One. The nature and extent of her espionage activities remain uncertain and her guilt is widely debated. So, let me tell you the story, and you can decide. Okay. Of a lovely lady. Margaretha Zell was the daughter of successful hatter Adam Zell and Auntie Zell. I think that's how you say that. Okay. But um, can we take a moment to appreciate the fact that her dad was a hatter? (laughs) Was he a mad hatter? I'm going to say so. In my mind, he is. Okay. 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 Good. It's official. He's a mad hatter. Yes. I like it. Do you know why a raven is like a writing desk? <laughs> <laughs> no. So good. No, we don't. We don't. It's so good. <laughs> so her dad, Adam, lost the family's money when she was a teenager. Oh. Um, he was a gambler. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Her parents divorced, and after the death of her mother in 1891, she and her three brothers were split up and sent to live with various relatives. Margarita was just 15 years old when this happened. So I have a picture of young Matahari. Yeah. So I have Ooh. no idea how old oh. she was in this picture. 
My guide queen. But I am assuming she was a teenager. I don't care. She's gorgeous. Wow. And how are your eyebrows so perfect? The lighting is making her glow. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I know. They are perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, perfect. Even her hair is symmetrical. It's the 1800s. And look how awesome your eyebrows are. That's insane. She was ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. She knew it. At an early age, Margaretha decided that sexuality was her ticket in life. She was described by school friends as, quote, an orchid among buttercups. I love that description. Mm -hmm. I want that on my tombstone. Mm -hmm. You want to be the orchid among buttercups? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Orchid among the buttercups. (laughs) (laughs) She boldly answered a newspaper ad seeking a bride for Rudolph MacLeod, a military captain based in the Dutch East Indies. She sent a photo of herself to entice him. Yeah, girl, thirst trap. <laughs> <laughs> Already. Despite a 21-year age difference, oh. they were married on July 11th, 1895, when Margaretha was just shy of 19. Get it, girl. I got a wedding pic. <laughs> if you want to go to the notes. Oh. He. Oh. <laughs> mustache. He has a mustache. Hi. No, I mean, not that wasn't a good high. That was like. He has quite the mustache. Yeah. And that is quite the wrinkled wedding gown. Is it supposed to be, though? No. 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 I like the top. That's just wrinkly. I like the bodice. That's before steamers. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. It's fine. They had rent cars in 1924, so. Who knows? What is time? (laughs) What is time? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Their nine-year marriage was rocky. Oh. When he wasn't cheating on his wife with Dutch prostitutes in Amsterdam and his concubines in the colonies, Rudolph's heavy drinking and frequent rages over the attention his wife received from other officers triggered physical abuse. So he was slutty. He just earned himself a spot in the douche box. Right. So he was slutty. And because his wife was gorgeous. Mm Mm-hmm. And other men looked at her, he beat the shit out of her. So that makes zero sense in the world. Yeah. And also, according to many reports, he infected (laughs) her with syphilis as well. Oh, great. Because he couldn't keep it in his pants. Dick in your pants. Keep your dick in your pants. Why why is that a phrase that even has to be said over and over again? It's a thing. It's a thing. The couple had two children together. Though their son, Norman John, died allegedly poisoned by the nanny. Oh. So I have a picture of the husband and son together. I couldn't find any pictures of her with her kids. But if you go to husband and son, there's her little boy and a better picture of the mustache. Okay. But it looks like he's wearing one of those little sailor outfits. Uh, yeah, they're <laughs> matching. Hello. It's, it's But it cute. is definitely. Yeah. Is it a cape? No, it's no. a sailor shirt. It's, it it, it is, isn't it? It is. Okay. It's got the little sailor flap on the back. It's cute. Stylish. It's cute. Most people said that the kid was poisoned by the nanny, but, but. some have speculated that he contracted syphilis from his parents and that his death was caused by the mercury treatments for the disease. Oh, so both suck. Yeah, either situation, either one that it maybe sucks. Mm. After returning to Europe, the couple separated, eventually divorcing in 1906. 
Margarita initially had custody of their daughter, Louise Jean, but Rudolph refused to help her financially, forcing her to leave her daughter with him. Shocker. So there's a picture of husband and daughter. Oh, good. I love seeing his face. God, he's creepy. I know. Girl. And that what are you girl, doing with your face? The little girl's wearing a sailor outfit, too. She's that precious. Yeah. But she doesn't look happy. No. Well, you weren't supposed to look happy in the day. Oh, yeah, true. And plus, they had to sit there for a while. Yeah. She's so cute, though. Mm-hmm. Okay. Poor, desperate, and hoping to earn enough money to reunite with her daughter, Margaretha began to dance professionally in Paris in 1905 under the name of Lady McLeod. Ma'am, ma'am. I'm belly dancing. You need to get your shit together. <laughs> you at work. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. <laughs> There she became the mistress of a French diplomat who helped her with the idea of supporting herself as a dancer. She soon renamed herself Matahari, a melee expression for the sun, literally meaning eye of the day. Yeah. So if you want to go to the notes and look at the picture that just says Matahari. Yes. It's a picture of one of her headdress, like her costume and one of her headdresses. Goodness. It was intricate. That looks heavy. And look how beautiful her profile is. It's amazing. Yes. I have nothing bad to say. Nope. Nope. She's gorgeous. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. So Paris at this time was the perfect place for Matahari's exotic looks and the, quote, temple dance she created by drawing on cultural and religious symbolism that she had picked up in the Indies. See? Belly dance. Like I said, y'all come get your friend. (laughs) She billed herself as a Hindu artist, draped in veils, which she strategically dropped from her body. Mm-hmm. In one memorable performance, Matahari appeared nearly naked on a white horse. Yes. She was tall, extremely attractive, and willing to appear virtually nude in public. Matahari was an instant success in Paris and soon other large cities. I mean... Yes, for her. Props, ma'am. But I don't think I could do that. Mm-mm. Especially at that time. Like, that was not... Yeah. That was a no It was not a prop, like popular profession. And But she sold herself so well. And the fact that most of the people that were watching her dance had never even been to the Indies. And because of how dark her hair was and how all of her complexion was, she didn't look Dutch. Right. She looked more oh, exotic. Yeah, completely. And different. so... She was an exotic dancer. Yeah. Like, she really sold herself on this Indian, you know, Malaysian... Exotic dancer. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Along the way, she helped turn the striptease into an art form and captivated critics. So I have another picture of Matahari. Thank you. Whilst performing, it says Matahari 2. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Get it, girl. Yes, ma'am. All of her costumes were so, were so intricate. Yes. And in one thing I read, it was saying, you know, she, um, she takes the scarves off, like revealing her arms and her stomach. Yeah. And she ain't afraid to show her butt. She'll, she'll oh. shake that ass. She doesn't show her breasts though. Good. So <laughs> that's why she has like those heavily, every picture she's in these like heavily beaded bralette type tops. Yeah. She never takes those off. Well, I wouldn't either. I mean, yeah, look like at it. All the drapey fabric she strategically takes off, but that beaded bodice part, like she never reveals her girls. She keeps those to herself. Good job, man. Yeah. 
Good job. Get it go. Yeah. Do what you do. A reporter in Vienna described Matahari as, quote, slender and tall with the flexible grace of a wild animal and with blue-black hair. Yeah. Her face, he wrote, makes a strange foreign impression, end quote. Okay. So he pretty much said she looks exotic. Yeah. (laughs) I like the way he put it, though. The flexible grace of a wild animal. Yes. Mm -hmm. Another newspaper writer called her, quote, so feline, extremely feminine, majestically tragic, the thousand curves and movements of her body trembling in a thousand rhythms, end quote. Kind of think he was in love with her. Wow. (laughs) The thousand curves and movements of her body. Okay. Alrighty then. I think he may have been an admirer. Mm -hmm. Just a smidge. Within a few years, Matahari's popularity had faded. Younger dancers took the stage and her bookings became sporadic. She supplemented her income by seducing government and military men. Mm-hmm. So I got a photo. <laughs> it says Matahari 3. And this is oh. her entertaining such gentlemen with all that leg out. <laughs> all of it. Oh, my goodness. She wasn't having any troubles. Mm-mm. She may not be dancing anymore, but she don't have any troubles. Nope. She she, <laughs> she got it. Sex became strictly a financial practicality for her. Despite the growing tension in Europe and the years leading up to World War One, Matahari knew no borders with her lovers, who included German officers. Oh, girl. As war took over, she had some freedom of movement as a citizen of neutral Holland and took full advantage of it. So she was traveling all over the place, did not give a fuck. Living her best life. Yes. Okay. Before long, Matahari's casual travels attracted attention from British and French intelligence, who put her under surveillance, of course. Whoops. Now nearing 40, with her dancing days clearly behind her, Matahari fell in love with a 21-year-old Russian captain, Vladimir Demazlov. Vladimir. Vladimir. Okay. And 21? That was some cougar shit going on. Back in 1916. Well, I mean, she had it the opposite way the first time, so why not reverse the role? True sees it's her turn. Yeah. <laughs> During their courtship, Maslov was sent to the front where an injury left him blind in one eye. Determined to earn money to support him, Matahari accepted an assignment to spy for France from George Ledoux. Yeah. Ledoux. Ledoux, because there's no E. Ledoux. Yeah. Ledoux. An army captain who assumed her courtesan contacts would be of use to French intelligence. Yeah. He's like, okay, so you sleeping around with with all the menzels. I mean, that's the best person (laughs) to go to. Yeah. Let's get some pillow talk. They know all the The facts regarding her espionage activities remain foggy. The French began to suspect Matahari of being a double agent. And on February 13th, 1917, she was arrested and imprisoned in Paris. I have some arrest photos of her. Okay. It says arrest. Oh. So she looks a lot different, but that's because we're seeing her at over 40 now. Well, and she's wearing clothes and yeah. doesn't have all of the... The flash. But if you look <laughs> at her profile, like her profile oh, it's still her. looks the same. It's yeah. definitely her. And the eyebrows. Still. Still. Still On fabulous. Point. Ma'am, how do you do it? Good job. Show me your ways. She probably does the string thing. The 
threading. In 1916, did they do that then? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's where it came from. Mm. It was all the, it, I don't know. I don't know how old it is. <laughs> <laughs> but they've been doing it for a very long time. Wow. I'm going to Google that. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to die if they're like, threading started in a mall in Chicago in 2000. <laughs> Hold on. The practice is up to 6,000 years old. Okay, so maybe she was threading. Maybe she was. I was going to say it came from like the Egyptians. But, you know, <laughs> I could be right. I could be if it's 6,000 years old. There's a good chance. <laughs> Let's just go with it. <laughs> Let's just go with it. <laughs> I mean, they made the first makeup. They did. That's why I was assuming they were the first ones to manicure their eyebrows. So Cleopatra probably had perfectly that was manicured what was, eyebrows. That was the image in my head. Okay. Okay. I'm here for it. <laughs> okay. I'm not here for this. This is gross. Oh, great. They threw her in a rat-infested cell. No. At the prison St. Lazar or Lazare? Lazar. Lazar. I don't know. Where she was allowed to see only her elderly lawyer, who happened to be a former lover. (laughs) Officials blamed her activities on Germany's behalf for the death of up to 50,000 French soldiers. Good Lord, woman. She was accused of revealing details of the Allies' new weapon, the tank. Uh Uh-oh. There was no evidence to support any of these allegations. Cool. Yeah. During lengthy interrogations by Captain Pierre... Bouchardon. Bouchardon. Bobby Boucher. Yeah, Boucher. <laughs> a military prosecutor, Matahari, dropped a bombshell confession. A German diplomat had once paid her 20,000 francs, 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 to gather information on her frequent trips to Paris. Mm. She swore to investigators that she never actually fulfilled the bargain and always remained faithful to France. She told them she viewed the money as compensation for furs and luggage that had once disappeared on a departing train while German border guards hassled her. Like, in the article I read about that, they, like, were suspecting her of spying. The Germans were suspecting her of spying. Yeah. So they took her trunks, and they, like, threw all her clothes all over the place. And when she was trying to gather it up, they, like, pushed her down. And, like, it was a big thing. And oh, then they, hell no. Then hell they no. wouldn't let her have her stuff. They didn't find anything, but they wouldn't let her have well, her stuff. Well, then I, justification is yeah. well served. <laughs> I don't know. So, a quote from her. Mm -hmm. A courtesan, I admit, a spy, never. I have always lived for love and pleasure. End quote. (laughs) Ma'am. Okay. (laughs) Goals. Goals. (laughs) I was going to say samesies, but... But no. Goals. (laughs) Yeah, it's a goal. (laughs) Her trial came at a time when the Allies were failing to beat back German advances. Real or imagined spies were convenient scapegoats for explaining military losses, and Matahari's arrest was one of many. They were just using her as an excuse. Mm -hmm. Captain George Ledoux made sure the evidence against her was delivered in the most damning way, and by some accounts even tampered with it to implicate her more. So when Matahari admitted that a German officer paid her for sexual favors, prosecutors sold it as espionage money. Money that she claimed was a regular allowance from a Dutch baron was portrayed in court as coming from German spymasters. But the Dutch baron was never called to testify, nor was Matahari's maid who acted as the liaison for the baron's payments. Of course not. So pretty much they're saying all of her money came from 
you know, from no matter where it came dirty from. Deeds. Yeah, they're saying it came from German spy masters. Men. Which is not the German part, but the spy master part. That sounds like a cool job. I mean, yeah. I want to be a spy master. Ooh. You could do it. I think I could. You're kind of a sneaky little bitch. I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so smiley, nobody suspects anything out of me. We could do it. You can do it. No, 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 no. You talk too much and you laugh too much. <laughs> you would give it away. Oh, totally I'm not hiding anything, guys. <laughs> and then you would smile like that. <laughs> Your big, pretty, toothy grin. No, ma'am. You're not a spy. <laughs> like my hip purse. <laughs> like the hip purse. Y'all. Okay. <laughs> you got to tell about the hip purse. So my bestie good friend, Josh, bought me a Christmas present, and I received it in the mail today, and I had to call him because I didn't know exactly what it was <laughs> or how to assemble it. <laughs> if y'all can help me turn this into a backpack, that would be great. I love backpacks, but it is a hip purse. It has cute little skulls on it. <laughs> It is so cool. It's like it is really badass. A I badass love it. bag. There's like I'll, chains I'll post a photo, and there's like chains and like well, when I opened it up, and my, skulls on it. My first thought was, "What in the holy bondage is this? <laughs> what did he buy me?" <laughs> it's a very Britney accessory, it so is. I'm gonna borrow um, it, Josh. <laughs> 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 but um, I cannot wait to wear this in New Orleans because <laughs> it's perfect for that. It's anti-purse stealing. Yeah, it's back yeah. the fuck off. Although that's what made us giggle because she said, yeah, you're going to wear that badass hip purse and then go show people all night long. Look, isn't it cute? Look at <laughs> Look the at cute this. little skulls. And it's got pockets, it's you guys. Got, like <laughs> pointy things. And, and they're kind of sparkly. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. I really can't deny any of this, especially if I've been drinking. I love it. I'm leaving now. Shit. We're doing a podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So when we left off, I have no idea. She had been arrested and they're saying all her money came from spy masters. They're not trying to call any oh, witnesses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. They're just completely fucking her in court. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. All right. On July 24th and 25th in 1917, she was tried by military court and sentenced to death. Mm. The military tribunal deliberated for less than 45 minutes before returning a guilty verdict. Well, I don't feel like that's fair. None of this is fair. No. It's all bias. Yeah. 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 Quote, it's impossible. It's impossible. Matahari exclaimed when she heard the decision. Three months later, on October 15th, 1917, she was shot by a firing squad. Dressed in a blue coat and tricorner hat, she arrived at the Paris execution site with a minister and two nuns. She arrived at the execution spot, turned to face the firing squad, waved away her blindfold, and blew the soldiers a kiss. <laughs> yeah. She was killed in an instant when their multiple gunshots exploded as one. The claim that she blew a kiss to her executioners was later discredited. But I'm going to pretend like it really happened because it's great. Yes. The claim that she refused to wear a blindfold is probably true. After she yeah. was shot, Matahari's head was removed and kept for many years along with those of other celebrity criminals in Paris's Museum of Anatomy. No one claimed her remains. 
I tried I mean, to find a picture of the head. <laughs> oh, no head photos. Well, there was a few that popped up, but they both looked wildly different. Okay. And I didn't know which was yeah. really hers. I do have a picture that I'm like 99.999% sure. Ooh, I like it. That this is from the execution because I've seen multiple pictures of this same thing from different angles and shut up. I'm going on historical sites. You, you got says me. Execution. So if you zoom in a little bit, <gasps> you see her. Yeah. And you see the hat, the try the pointy hat she's wearing. Yes. Standing. With her back facing like a a wooded hill, like a grassy hill. Mm-hmm. And all these men, these military men in front of her with guns at their sides at the ready. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And you see, like, that's probably, like, the minister and her lawyer off to the side mm-hmm. over there. Yeah. Oh, I just noticed that. Yep. Yeah. Insane. Oh, my God. Yeah. In the years following her death, Matahari became the subject of many books and movies. As more information was uncovered, doubts arose over her guilt. The German government publicly announced her innocence in 1930, and the French dossier documenting her activities also indicated her innocence. In 2017, France released various documents relating to Matahari, and they led many to believe that she had been a scapegoat of French officials looking for someone to blame for the country's setbacks in the war. Mm Mm-hmm. It was also speculated that her disregard for societal norms also played a role in her arrest, conviction, and execution. Sure. Of course it did, because she was not your conventional woman. Nope. She wasn't. She didn't fit the the box. She wasn't afraid to express herself Mm -hmm. and to do what she needed to do to take care of herself. And she knew lots of men in high places. And it scared the shit out of them. Mm Mm-hmm. She wasn't normal, and she knew too much. So... That's my case. I think she was innocent. I do, too. Slow clap. But it's a really shitty one. Yay! They declared her innocent. I know. After After, after 12 men shot her. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was definitely a... Um, so, she's not really a spy, in my opinion. No, but she was just fabulous. She's badass, and... People called her a spy, and so that's why she made the spies episode. I loved every bit of it. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Okie dokie. Okay. It's my turn. Me next. <laughs> all right. My case is about Aldrich Ames, one of the douchiest. I don't like him, and neither will you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Committing espionage is always a unique and deeply personal calculation, but there are several common factors. Some people spy because they're backed into a corner and feel that revealing secrets to a hostile intelligence service is the only choice left to them. Others spy for egotistical reasons or to get revenge. My personal fave. Of course. (laughs) Many of the most damaging historical spies have named totally logical reasons as the root cause of their treachery. But for some, betrayal is purely and simply down to financial greed. For Aldrich Rick Ames, money was the prime motivator for a betrayal that lasted nearly a decade. He was probably the most destructive Soviet mole in the CIA. Crippling agency operations against the hardest intelligent topic through the end of the Cold War and beyond. To infinity. And beyond. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there, There's a lot of, oh God, just, the, anyways. It's fine. 
Ames was born in May 1941 in River Falls, Wisconsin. Spying was in his blood. His father, quite ordinary and a part-time academic, spent a three-year tour as a CIA operations officer in Rangoon, Burma. Okay. In the early 1950s. In Crab Rangoon? (laughs) Yeah. See, that's what I heard. There's a lot of those in here. Okay. Okay. (laughs) By all accounts, this did not go well. And when he returned to the CIA, Ames Sr. found it difficult to find a division that would have him. He eventually ended up working in the um, counterintelligence staff. Yay. That's such a long word. It really is. It it looks more difficult than it is to say. Yeah. I can say that one. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) The rest of his CIA career was uneventful, and he became more and more dependent on alcohol. Oh, no. Yikes. Following in his father's footsteps, Ames Jr. interned in the CIA in the late 1950s while in college and joined the agency full-time in 1962. Let's go look at him in his young years. It says young years. (laughs) Okay. He looks dapper, right? He's he's not a bad-looking young man. No. It doesn't stay that way. He's totes... Dapper in the 1950s. Definitely. That's exactly the thought that came into my head, too. I was like, well, what a dashing, dapper young man he is there. He looks like he wants to take Betty Sue on a date. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In his little convertible (laughs) showing up with flowers and chocolates and stuff. Well, (laughs) that's not him. Okay. (laughs) He spent 1969 to 1972 as an undercover agent in Turkey doing his part in the Cold War between the United States and the Communist Soviet Union by recruiting Soviet citizens to spy for the United States. He's the bad one. We don't. Okay. Yeah. Ames married a, a fellow CIA co-worker, Nancy Jane Siegbreath? Siegbreath. But what I read is Sagebreath. <laughs> Ma'am. I see that. I think it's funny that I made a Betty Sue joke and he married a Nancy Jane. (laughs) See? So, Nancy Jane Sage Breath, and he spent the 1970s in Washington, D.C. He also spent some time in New York City, where he became friendly with several Soviets who worked at the United Nations. At one point, he handled the case of a prominent Soviet defector for the CIA, I knew some Soviets in New York who were very interesting, Ames recalled during a 1994 jailhouse interview with Tim Weiner <laughs> of the New York Times. Weiner, Weiner, Weiner. Yeah, I, um, oh, I had an idea while I was typing this, but I left that name in there several times. <laughs> so let's make a drinking game out of it. Okay. Every time I say Weiner. <laughs> You have to drink. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Side note. <laughs> this makes me think of that Friends episode. Oh, God. <laughs> where Rachel's pediatrician for Emma, his name was Dr. Wiener. Mm. And he gets mad because he, like, wants to fire her or whatever because she won't <laughs> stop calling him. And so she starts prank calling him at night. And she's just, like, screaming into the phone, Wiener! Wiener! <laughs> wiener! That's great. Okay, proceed. Okay. (laughs) The chief Pravda representative in New York and I had lunch together every couple of weeks for about three years. 
That's a lot of lunches. It's a lot of lunches. Mm-hmm. Pravda was the Soviet Union's official government-run newspaper, just in case. Okay. Because I was like, "What? What is that? Yeah. I don't. I don't know what that is." Me neither. So I googled it. Okay. From 1981 to 83, he worked for the CIA in Mexico City, a move that contributed to the breakup of his first marriage. Okay. He, I'm going to assume that he may have been a little cheater. Maybe, or just long distance is hard. Yeah. Well, while in Mexico, he met, here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. Maria del Rosario Casas Dupuy. Okay. A.K.A. Rosa. Rosa. Yep. I'm here for it. She was from Colombia, and she was also working for the CIA. The two began dating and would eventually marry. Okay. I have a picture of little uh, Aldrich, whatever you want to call him, and Rosa. Get it, Rosa? Oh, Um, my gosh. That's why I put the photo in there. I was like, her waist is tiny. Okay, he needs to go home. Yeah, see, he's not cute anymore. No, but oh my god, she's got the tiniest waist Mm -hmm. and the biggest, prettiest smile and Mm -hmm. the hair, hair for days, ma'am. Yeah. That's a lot of hair. Yeah. Get it, ma'am. Goals. Yeah. (laughs) Counterintelligence had fallen out of favor at the CIA during the 1980s. Agency director William J. Casey preferred offense to defense and emphasized hiring and recruiting new covert agents. Counterintelligence did not always attract the best and the brightest, explained Tim Wiener. (laughs) Wiener. (laughs) I guess I have to drink too, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. I will fully participate. <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> that shit is stout. Yeah, it's still, and we're not even like halfway through the drink. Oh, I am. We might be. I don't know. I don't remember. You just see my lemon. I don't remember how far up the knuckles it was. <laughs> okay. Pay close attention to the hump day treat. We have glasses that are held by little metal skeleton hands and they're adorable. <laughs> Something creepy is adorable to me. Mm-hmm. Hearts and kittens. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. All right. So um, explain Tim Weiner, um, David Johnston, and Neil A. Lewis in Betrayal, the story of Aldrich Ames, an American spy. And it was sometimes used as a dumping ground for vaguely talented misfits who did not have what it takes to make it in the secret world. So you would be in counterintelligence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, but probably. <laughs> it's fine because I'm about to get my revenge. How many more times do you say wiener? Because <laughs> it's coming up. I have to drive home. The wiener's coming. It's coming up. <laughs> the wiener's coming. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Literally. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, okay. Ames was not well regarded within the CIA. According to Wiener. <laughs> Johnston and Lewis in betrayal again. He was by then a gray, bland government <laughs> bureaucrat. Are you okay over there? Fine. 42 years old, possessed of an impressive title, a serious drinking problem, and a major midlife crisis. Did he drink every time he heard Wiener too? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you not? Is the question. He was frustrated to have a desk job in counterintelligence instead of a foreign assignment. He played the role of office goof-off, getting in everyone's way with his aimless shit-chat. 
God, dude, would you just shut the fuck up? I'm trying to work here or do anything other than talk to you. Would you shut up? Go away. Go away. <laughs> Those who liked Ames thought he was smart but lazy. Many others could not stand him. Well, all right. Samesies. His new job in counterintelligence gave him access to files involving secret CIA operations, and he began to study double agents. Spies working for their own country who secretly betray it and pass secrets to a rival nation, just in case you didn't know what that was. Okay. <laughs> just in case you've never heard of a double agent before. Okay. Like, there's your definition. Thanks so much. He looked up the files of living and dead Soviets who had spied for the CIA and made an interesting discovery. By 1984, about a dozen Soviets, mostly intelligent agents for the Soviet Union's KGB or GRU, its foreign intelligence agency, were secretly helping the CIA as double agents. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Unhappy with his career and facing financial difficulties due to his imminent divorce from his first wife and the expensive taste that he and Rosa shared, he decided to offer the Soviets a deal. On April 16, 1985, he went to meet a Soviet diplomat whom, as he told his CIA bosses, was attempting to recruit as a CIA source. Okay. When the diplomat did not show up, he had a few drinks and then went to the Soviet embassy in D.C. Okay. He handed an officer there the names of two or three embassy employees who had offered to work for the United States. He justified the disclosure to himself by assuming that these officers were dangles which means um, KGB officers making insincere office offers as um, strategic bait. Okay. He then asked the Soviets for $50,000. Money was the motivation, he later told Wiener in the New York Times. <clears throat> After that, according to Ames, he grew paranoid that any of the CIA's spies in Russian intelligence might discover his betrayal and expose him. He decided to expose them all first. In June 1985, he took six pounds of documents. Six pounds of documents. That's a lot. How are you carrying that? I mean, it's only six pounds, though. Yeah, but what you putting that in? That's a lot of paper. A, a, six pounds of papers? One of those cardboard Paper boxes. You just, printer, printer sheet boxes. I you just go to paper. the bar with a box of copy paper? I don't know. Maybe he stuffed it down his pants. <laughs> Letting cute. He had it in a satchel. Okay. Okay. So he did it first to a bar in Washington. He handed them to his friend, the Soviet diplomat. The documents included all of the names from the CIA's network of spies recruited from within the Soviet government. Oh, my gosh. Ten Secret agents were arrested and executed. Oy. U.S. secret agents. Mm -hmm. Okay. General Dmitry F. Polyakov. Yeah. Polyakov. I don't know. Of the GRU, the Soviet Military Intelligence Organization, who had given the CIA valuable information for years, was arrested, interrogated, and executed. No. Yeah. His actions left the United States with no secret agents in Moscow. What a dick. Yeah. Several weeks later in August, he was assigned to debrief a new Soviet defector. Vitaly? Vitaly. Vitaly. Okay, cool. That was the only one I wasn't sure of. Vitaly S. Yershenko? Mm-hmm. Yershenko? Yershenko? 
Anyway, he arrived at the debriefing, unsure whether Yurchenko knew about his betrayal. He did not. And Ames spent the next few weeks debriefing the Soviet defector at a safe house in northern Virginia. Um, when Yurchenko revealed that several American agents were secretly double agents working for the Soviet Union, Ames tipped off his KGB contacts, of course. Mm-hmm. The information allowed at least one such agent, fired CIA employee Edward Lee Howard, to escape from the United States to Eastern Europe. Yay! Yershenko, meanwhile, changed his mind about his defection and returned to the USSR in November of 1985. He said, peace out. Yeah, he's like, Red flag. Yeah. And out. Doses. Five of the CIA's secret agents on assignment in the Soviet Union had disappeared by the fall of 1985. And another 20 were missing a year later. At first, the CIA blamed Howard, but it eventually became clear that he did not have access to enough information to doom all of those lost agents. In fall of 1986, the CIA launched an investigation and considered the possibility that a mole had betrayed the agents. You think? Mm Mm-hmm. Another possibility was that the Soviets had bugged or intercepted CIA communications or stolen insider documents. I mean, all possible. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the KGB sent false leads to the CIA to distract them from Ames. Yay! Wow. Also, in 1986, the CIA assigned Ames to Rome, Italy. Bitch. I want to go so to jealous where he worked for three years and continued meeting with KGB agents. When his posting in Rome ended in 1989, the KGB gave him instructions about what to spy on after he returned to D.C. Back in the U.S. Capitol by September of 1989, the CIA named him chief of its Soviet division's Western Europe branch. Well, that wasn't smart. The position was eliminated soon after when the fall of the Berlin Wall in late 1989 ended the Cold War. So he was only in there for just a little bit. He continued to spy for the Soviet Union into the early 1990s. He would leave secret documents in dead drops, hiding places arranged in advance. Mm -hmm. Russian agents then left money and new assignments for him at other dead drops before the Soviet Union collapsed at the end of 1991. He was able to warn the KGB about two CIA operations in Russia, installing listening devices in the Soviet Union's space facility and developing an advanced technology that allowed the agency to determine the number of nuclear warheads mounted in Soviet missiles. Hmm. Okay. I mean, cool, but can we... Use that for good. Mm-hmm. Like our side. After 1991, Ames continued to spy for the KGB's successor, the Russian Security Service. In 1989, the CIA mole hunting team received the first tip about Ames when a colleague reported that he and his Colombian life, life, <laughs> wife, <laughs> Rosa, seemed to be living beyond their means. Of course they were. However, the mole hunting team did not immediately focus on him. And in 1991, a CIA investigator in Bogota, assigned to investigate his wife's family, diffused this concern by passing along the false gossip that her family was wealthy. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Meanwhile, the FBI was growing suspicious of him because it had spotted him um, making frequent visits to the Soviet embassy that he did not report to his bosses. That's a little sketch. It received permission from a judge to tap his phone in 1992. Yeah. Okay, so now we're getting somewhere. 
For 10 months, the FBI conducted surveillance of him. Agents assembled evidence of his contacts with Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service. In October 1993, FBI agents learned that he had marked a mailbox in Washington, D.C. with chalk to signal that he would meet a Russian agent in South America. Okay. That's not, you know, that's not weird at all. Agents tailed him and photographed his meeting with the agent in Venezuela that November. Okay. And he was just doing his thing. He had no idea that they were just following him the entire time. Does he not watch movies? Obviously not. He doesn't know to look behind him and make sure he's he's not a very good spy. By 1994, Ames and Rosa had received $2.7 million from the KGB and its successor, the most that the Soviet Union slash Russia had ever paid an American spy. That's a lot of money. Yeah, he far outspent his CIA salary of $80,000 using the Russian money to buy, among other things, a maroon Jaguar XJ6 that cost $50,000. Okay. A $540,000 house, which he paid for in cash. Okay. He began to wear a Gucci watch. He's Gucci, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and um, $1,000 suits to work. You're making it a little bit too obvious, sir. Yeah, you need to calm down. His wife bought 500 pairs of shoes and 60 purses. Oh, my God. You look so excited about that. Where the... Okay, no, you do not need 500 pairs of shoes. That is a tad bit excessive, but oh, my God, where would you put all those? You'd have to have an entire room dedicated to just shoes. In their brand new house they paid cash for. That's where she put them. Yeah. But I would would not have bought purses and shoes. That is a lot. No, I... Okay, a lot of shoes, I can totally see you and I both buying maybe like 20 pairs. Maybe. But maybe 500? There's no way in hell. Okay. Maybe 20 pairs of shoes and like 12 of them would be some sort of boot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They'd be all different variations of our favorite boot and favorite sneaker for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. In February of 1994, the FBI learned that he was planning overseas travel, including a trip to Russia. (gasps) No, you don't say. Oh, I thought you were saying no because I was about to drink and you didn't oh. say wiener. <laughs> like as but soon you as, did. As soon as the glass went up to my lips, you were like, no. And I was like, oh, shit. Brittany said wiener. Wiener, wiener, wiener. Oh, my God. You're making them drink way too much, ma'am. Huh. <laughs> what was that noise? just took a What was that? I can't even do it. <laughs> I have no freaking clue what that was. <laughs> um, I took a big swallow and it it ooh, ah, it she, was a <laughs> she took a big swallow. <laughs> it was very lemony. It, it's like the lemon peel get, get right in my mouth. It, it was a lot. Because <clears throat> I was laughing and going, ha, at the same time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what conspired. 
All right. So during his trip to Russia, FBI agents had Ames' boss call him into the office. When the agent left his house by car on February 21st, 1994, he was arrested by federal agents. Mm-hmm. Get his ass. That's what you get. Under questioning, Ames confessed that he had identified several CIA and FBI sources to Russian and Soviet intelligence, betrayals that had led to many sources' death and arrests. They died because this warped, murdering traitor wanted a bigger house and a Jaguar. CIA Director James Woolsey declared, Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. As quoted by the wiener. (laughs) As quoted by the wiener. (laughs) New York City Times. According to investigators, Ames's wife, Rosa, had discovered his spying in 1992. Until then, she had been assured that his extra income was the result of just good investments. Okay. She had no clue. She didn't care. She didn't care because she she had 500 pairs of shoes. Right? She was just sitting in her closet all day. Yeah. She didn't give a fuck. She did not. In April of 1994, he pleaded guilty to espionage and tax evasion and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. His wife pleaded guilty to tax evasion and conspiracy to commit espionage and was sentenced to five years in prison. Okay. She returned to South America after her release. Ames told an interviewer in 1998 that his motives for betraying the United States were personal, banal, and amounted really to greed and folly as reported on the Nova episode titled Secrets, Lies, and Atomic Spies. Okay. Which I want to seal that title and retitle our episode as that. Right. But we can't. That's theft. <laughs> but, but clever. Yeah. So I have a picture of when he was arrested. Oh, he's wearing the glasses, y'all. Yeah. He's got the and glasses. There's some sort of mustache situation. Kind of like a Hitler stash. That's what it makes me think of. Mm. And the ears. I mean, look, I'm not being mean, but and they're noticeable. They're prominent. I mean, I'm not going to say a damn thing about prominent ears because my papa had some prominent fucking ears. They was... Um, well, now I feel like a piece of shit for saying. <laughs> they they was some ears. They's out there. He could hear everything, though. <laughs> it comes in handy. Maybe it's just the hairstyle and the mustache that really offsets his face. <laughs> you could talk about his ears. He got big ears. I'm trying to be nice. My papa had big ears. They, I mean, they was big. <laughs> I'm not lying. My mom's dad, my papa Jerry. I had two papa Jerry's. That's another thing. Did you know? No. Did I ever tell you that? Two papa no. Jerry's. That's confusing. Mm-hmm. My mom's dad, my dad's dad was both Jerry. In late 1994, the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence issued a report that criticized the CIA for failing to catch him sooner. Right. That failure, quote unquote, led to the loss of virtually all of CIA's intelligence assets targeted at the Soviet Union at the height of the Cold War. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it did. According to the committee's report, as quoted by Wiener in the New York Times. Uh, is this the last Wiener? I don't even know, honestly. <laughs> I didn't count. Um, it looks like it, it looks like it is. Winner. I just did a scan. I'm just gonna kill it. Just kill it. Just do it. The intelligence committee report blamed Ames. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. 
after you. I'm good. <laughs> her face. Her face. Mm. Yep. Am I okay, friends? <laughs> it's gone. Too enthusiastic. Fun's up. Thumbs Bye, up. Holiday fun. <laughs> Can't even. What? Wiener. Okay. <laughs> the intelligent. When all else fails, go back to the wiener. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so blushing right now. Okay. I'm going to start that sentence over. The Intelligence Committee report, report blamed Ames and the CIA's inability to catch him for years for the execution of 10 Soviet and Eastern European agents, the exposure of 100 U.S. intelligence operations, and the loss of thousands of pages of classified documents. Some mystery still exists regarding the details of Ames's betrayals. In 2015, espionage historian David Wise suggested that three of the double agents that Ames said he exposed may have actually been betrayed earlier by another never-identified mole. Oh, my. What? So now, though, he's 81. He's known as Prisoner 40087-083 and is serving a life sentence at the Medium Security Federal Correctional Institution in Tier Hot. That's what I would say. Indiana? Yeah. I had a brain fart for a second. I'm fine. (laughs) Um, Those he compromised weren't so fortunate. They lost their lives. Fuck you. Fuck you. Aldrich. Aldrich. Ames. Yuck. (laughs) (laughs) I like the way you said it. (laughs) That's how we do it. Oh. Well. You missed a picture. Picture of him now. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. There is a picture of him now. Hold on. Oh, my. It's not very. He still has the glasses. Yeah, he's still got the glasses, and I don't care. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nope. He's just a little grayer. Yeah. It ain't cute. Mm-mm. All right. Well. Oh. He sucks. Let that go. Yeah, he does suck. But um, I'm ready for some trivia. Oh, we had the first person on Ooh. Instagram and the first person on uh, Facebook. And I just have to say, I got to interrupt for just mm-hmm. a second. Because almost immediately after I posted it. These two people got it. They didn't even have time to Google. Persons, people, I don't know how many peoples, is well, involved the in, peoples. in the Instagram, but um, congratulations to Shannon Williams on Facebook mm-hmm. and um, podcast They Don't Stay Dead on Instagram. Yeah. They're from Australia. Um, hi. Congrats, Bates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Hit me. The answer to the question, oh, yeah. what profession <laughs> did several victims of the Connecticut River Valley Killer have in common? Connecticut River Valley Killer victims, Bernice Quartermanch, Quartermanch. Okay. Ellen Fried and Barbara Agnew were all in the nursing profession at the time of their attacks. Ding, ding, ding. They were nurses. Good job, guys. Quartermanch. Uh, <laughs> was <laughs> I'm sorry, ma'am. That's a lot of name. 
was a 17-year-old's nurse. 17-year-old. Not a, <laughs> she was a 17-year-old's nurse. <laughs> I drank too much martini. Um, was a 17-year-old nurse's aide while the others were actual nurses. Um, additionally, Linda Moore was president of the Rockingham Memorial Hospital Auxiliary. Okay. The theory of a nurse stalker pervaded contemporary local media coverage of the murders, even though authorities weren't sold on the idea. Two brothers were primary investigators of two of the cases. Detective Sergeant Ted LeClaire of the Vermont State Police in Bethel hunted for Agnew's killer, while Sergeant Michael LeClaire of the Vermont State Police in Rockingham searched for Moore's. Michael was quoted in a local newspaper as doubting the nurse stalker theory, however, noting that Moore only had a slight connection to nursing. But the potential nursing angle came into play again in 2001 when it caught the eye of Lynn Marie Cardi, a private investigator who had been hired to learn more about the disappearance of Michelle Ashley, a mother who had gone missing from Holyoke, Massachusetts, which is just off Interstate 91 in December 1988, just months after the Borowski attack. Oh, my God. Which is also the last one linked with the Connecticut River Valley killer. Jesus. All right. So. So it was nurses. Yeah. Okay. So. So you get a gold star and a mention. Yeah. Okay. New question. New killer. Yeah. Okay. All right. Your question for next week. Yes. Who is the only person ever to be charged in connection with the New Bedford Highway murders. I will say it again. Oh. Who is the only person ever to be charged in connection with the New Bedford Highway murders? And your time starts now. Okay, friends. If you choose to come back, <laughs> we'll, we'll be here again next week. Yeah, we'll be here. I hope you will be, too. Yeah, so go to the socials so you can answer trivia questions. Mm -hmm. Look at photos of the cases. See the shenanigans. Look at funny memes. Talk to us. We like it. Oh, yeah, we like talking. Um, Texting. <laughs> texting? <laughs> we like texting. But you can always message us on Facebook and Instagram and... And we have an email address. Oh, we do. We don't give that out anymore. Yeah. If you ever have any ideas for cases or hump day treats or you want to share some sort of personal story, if you've got like a spooky story or a I was almost kidnapped story or if you spotted Bigfoot and took a picture, we want to see all that stuff. So, aliens. Aliens. Have everything. you been abducted? We really want one of those. Mm -hmm. Personal experience. Tell me things. All of it. So, if you ever have anything you want to communicate, like I said, all the messengers, mm -hmm. or oddities and curiosities pod at gmail.com, you can reach us that way too. Yep. All right. Well, we're leaving now. I might be a little tipsy. Me too. I need some water. Okay. okay. We're going to get water and we'll, well, yeah. See you next time or something? No, not see. Talk. We'll talk at you next time or something? I don't know. Okay, One bye. of those. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. We'll talk at you next week.